it's not just about changing the conversation. It's about changing the goal of the conversation. It's not just about trying to be right or trying to prove somebody wrong, but it's about seeking to understand, seeking to learn and seeking to grow. And when that's the objective of a conversation, that's when everybody starts to win. We don't understand, don't misunderstand. And a lot of people, when they don't understand, they already draw their conclusion or make assumptions that their perception of what they understood is the reality. If we're not trying to be right or trying to make somebody else wrong, but we're seeking clarity, that's where the bridge can actually be crossed. All right. Welcome back. Another episode of It's Not So Black and White. This one's going to be an interesting one because it's the first time we've had five people in a conversation. So we'll try not to shout over each other. Um, special guest tonight. He's only showing up once unless he has a really great time and then he might he might come back. Uh, Rashawn Parker. And uh, we're also welcoming for the first time Chris Wilkins and Eris. Uh, do you go by Dejan or uh, the, the other last name that I saw? No, no. Well, it's all my name. But yeah, Eris Dejan. There we go. So, um, Rashawn, I'm going to let you uh, give your 52 second blurb on what you do, and then we'll jump into just a conversation and roll with it. Uh, well, hi, I'm Rashawn Parker. I well, what I do now is I find chef-owned and operated restaurants, and I drag a film crew and my wife with me to meet them, find out about their lives, the history of the restaurants, and then you know they're they're gracious enough to cook up and let me try some of the best dishes they offer and. I get to meet a lot of fun people around the country and taste a lot of food. And I have a fun new show idea that I think is the reason I'm here, but I guess we'll get to that. You guys, <laughs> everybody likes to break bread, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you, you had this concept uh, that we talked on the, on, on when I was on your podcast, which is called beyond the check, beyond the which, check. There we which, go. Which is also the name of the show in case anybody wants to go watch me find the chef owned restaurants. It's on Amazon to TV. Waiting, waiting, plug. <laughs> Quick, all get right. all your shameless plugs We're in. Start things off. <laughs> follow me everywhere. <laughs> yeah, follow me everywhere. But beyond the check, Rashawn Parker, all that all fun right. stuff. Cool. We're all done. Thank you, everybody. We'll see. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was your sixty-second microcast. So, um, yeah. So you you had a show idea. Uh, I think you were going to call it Breaking Bread or something like that. So what what was the concept you were thinking of here? So I wanted to do a potluck thing. Because I feel like potlucks have pretty much died out. When's the last time any of you went to a potluck? <laughs> When's the last time you were invited to a potluck? When's the last time you heard the word potluck? <laughs> uh, 2019. Okay. All right. Well, I have, I have to say, actually, in my circle, we, we do regularly do them. Do you? That's yeah. Good. Um, cool. But mostly is like I was doing them a lot with clients. So it would be sort of a way to get my clients to meet each other and to do exactly that, break bread, right? Because this ritual around eating, which I'm sure is what you're going for, yeah, we're is super there. important to social glue, right? It's the it's the good stuff. All right. And even, you know, even at Thanksgiving dinner, you manage to sit around the table and fight, but there's food involved. <laughs> so everyone manages not to kill each other somehow, right? Probably even because with, there's even food with, there. Even with the cleaver and the, and the turkey, it's it's... <laughs> No one's dead. It's the important safe space. <laughs> Survivors. <laughs> yeah. So what I was thinking was you take people of, you know, different backgrounds and different beliefs and different political spectrums and you make them make one of their favorite dishes and everybody brings it to the table and everyone eats and shares food. And then 
talks about, you know, <laughs> issues <laughs> over food. The cleavers will stay in the drawer. Right. So the, well, the so, idea, well, go ahead, Lamar. I want to say sometime they're right in the hand. There's that temptation. And you <laughs> just cut into right. the you cut into the meat and then you make sure it's a piece with a bone because you have to work harder to burn the energy to make sure the cleaver stays in the hand. <laughs> I think it's, it's a really epic the military idea. guy. He's like, give me a fork, we're good. <laughs> Two is one, one is none, right? That's the marine motto. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it's a really epic idea because I think, you know, you can look back as long as you like in history and see examples of peace being brokered over food, right? Like it's a huge component of mm -hmm. how we interact with each other. And, but, you know, like the daily show or like a talk show, you know, where you, you really could eventually get higher end people potentially who are in control of the stupid world and hash it out for realsies, you know, over a, you know, a good, a good country biscuit and gravy. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. I think every one of us, uh, I think is down for a country biscuit and gravy. I think I should, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but it sounds pretty awesome. But uh, you know, everywhere that I've traveled and I've been to about 45 countries um, everywhere I've traveled, like food is like an integral part of the culture and the, the people and their sense of identity. And my passion for food meant that I was really warmly welcomed almost all of the time because I was so excited to try whatever they had to offer Got some weird dishes sometimes, but you know what? Uh, once you get over sort of the first, uh-oh, I've never tried this before. This looks a little weird and has legs. But uh, after you get past that, you find actually it's pretty good. Chicken feet still get me. I just. <laughs> yeah, okay. That, that's one that I, I, I haven't been able to do is chicken feet. Um, I, I am moving into the world of eth being an ethical omnivore. Uh, so, you know, gizzards, tongues, uh Liver's a hard one. Kidneys haven't quite got that one yet either. Oh, Working I, on that. I miss liver. I miss liver. Man. Oh, I don't. <laughs> as a like my growing up, there were things that I just never ate. But as I got older, I just got into them and developed these cravings for them. Like onions, for an example. Like I could eat raw onions. I don't even like cooked vegetables. My vegetables have to be raw. But as a child, mm. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand when grandma was cooking liver. I was like anti-liver, but as I got older, I, I craved for it. And it's uh, all the iron. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe. But I, I don't eat I don't eat beef or pork anymore. So I'm only like a bird and seafood guy. So, so chicken livers are chicken livers are on the are on the menu. Exactly. So anything Okay, I do actually like yeah. a good fried chicken liver. My mother was a yeah. huge fried chicken liver person. Mm. And there's just something that it's such a weird texture. Yeah, yeah, that's the like, hard it's part. Like, it's like dry and kind of grainy, but also like this really robust, like earthy wow. fucking, oh, I don't know. But, Man. but it's fried, so it's delicious. <laughs> you can you can make just about anything delicious if you fry it. So <laughs> everything tastes like chicken. <laughs> yeah, I've I've partaken uh of of the camels and the dogs uh stationed over in Korea. <laughs> And really? of course, you get the invite of, hey, this is the greatest meat you've ever had. And everybody's just like smiling and they're eating a piece of it. And they're like, oh, this is the best. You have to try this. And just as you swallow it, they, oh, you know the stray you saw outside? That's usually your welcome to another country when you're when you're stationed overseas. It's like, oh, that was his cousin. And then, of course, you're coming from the U.S. and you're realizing, wait, you're eating a dog. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, the culture, they raise they raise the dogs the same way that we would raise chickens um, to, to be eaten. Um, so but just the experience when you know you're eating something that you're culturally not accustomed to is just it's yeah. You just kind of go through thoughts in your head of what's happening in your stomach until, you know, 24 hours later, you're like, OK, I'm still here. It's good. Yeah. Nothing. Right. It's yeah. Good. yeah. Good question. Yeah. How was it? Mm. So, all right. So, literally, the dog tastes almost like chicken. For real, like chicken, huh? Yeah, yeah. So does it was. Um, have, does anyone have a dog as a pet here? Cats. <laughs> I'm a cat woman. <laughs> no pets. Let me just close my dog's ears quickly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh, is this bones or sugar? That's bones. Bones. <laughs> I got some headphones. Some podcast headphones. Right. <laughs> Always canceling headphones. Oh man, um, it actually it actually was pretty good. Um, over in the Middle East now, the camel was like really rough and uh, bland. Yeah. Um, I was kind of expecting to be like venison or something, maybe, but I don't know. I've had camel as well, and it's it's sort of like it's just eh. well, probably has no fat, right? Not much. It's yeah. stringy. Yeah. What, uh, yeah. I mean, what, what makes up a camel's hump? You know, like what sort of tissue? Is it like cartilage? Is it, you know, fluid, a mixture of both? Like I feel like I should question. know that, and I can't quite conjure it up. But I don't the think Asian? you typically eat the hump. Like, it's really more. I remember seeing feet hanging in the window and being like, I'm pretty sure those are camel feet. So I wonder. I mean, where's the rest of the camel? I'm pretty sure I just ate it. So the East Asian, the East Asian culture, they indulge in camel hump. Okay. Yeah. So I I I was anytime I've heard of anyone eating camel is from that side (laughs) of the world. So they indulge in camel hunt from what I know. I was I was uh, resisting the urge to make some kind of joke when you're talking about uh, camel toes being hung in windows. So (laughs) no, yeah, no, I didn't say camel toes. Too early. (laughs) (laughs) Too late. That was Amsterdam. Okay, that's where camel toes were hung in the window. Camel feet were in Tunisia. (laughs) It's a completely different thing. Very very different places. She's the only woman <laughs> this. You're gonna make it harder for her, even. Uh, no, really. I told you, like I exist in a male-dominated industry. <laughs> I really, there's very few things you're gonna say that are gonna phase me, or that I'm not going to have an inappropriate comeback for. So, let's yeah, have yeah. that. <laughs> so I have a, I have an answer. A camel's hump consists of stored fat, which they can metabolize when food and water is scarce. Hmm. Right, because there there is a water element to because you know you hear about the camels survive in the desert because the, the water stored in their hump, but it's like uh, maybe they access it from fat, like some sort of enzymatic conversion or something. Like it's not actually just a big trough of water. It's yeah, sloshing yeah. around on their back. <laughs> It'd be really hard to ride on it if it was. It's like a you know, camel water a balloon. I think riding a single humped camel would be the most uncomfortable ride ever. Hmm. I think you just Let's, ride forward. I'm trying oh. to think about it. Has any, well, I know my wife's camels, ridden. But I, I don't remember. Yeah, it was like my wife's ridden a camel, but I got, I got no idea. Because, you know, in Australia, they have camels as well. Huh. Yeah, they, they brought them in for traversing the desert because Australia is 70% desert. So yeah. okay. And now they just have like wild camels rampaging in the desert that sometimes get hit by buses. Wow. Do camels and kangaroos like throw down? I want to know. Like, does that, that happen? Because <laughs> kangaroos can be a bit feisty. They can. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have never seen that, but it would be probably uh, very, very interesting to see. 
So right. I, have a, I, have a, I have a second question, <clears throat> which was as you're eating the dog and you're thinking you're eating a domestic animal, right? Does that make you reflect on the animals that we don't consider domestic and start like caring a little bit more about like, you know what, if, if maybe that pig shouldn't be treated that way as, you know, just like this dog shouldn't be treated like a pig in America, right? The first thing that came to my mind, um, why there's a whole, I'll get into the, the basics of why. First thing that came to my mind was, um, I forgot what country it was that eats rats. Um, why rats? Well, because, you know, obviously there was there was a point and probably still now again um, where New York City was just like, you know, you're, you're walking up the yeah. block. You're coming out the train station and, you know, Ratui is right there greeting you, telling you that you're walking <laughs> on his step and step over the next one. Mm-hmm. Um that was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, I'm, I guess I'm not an, an, an advocate, so to speak, for animals, but I do hate animal cruelty. Um, there, was, there was an artist who did nothing but the New York City rats. Oh, man. Back in the, back in the late 70s and 80s. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I'd, have, I, I'd have to go look up his name. I have a brief recollection of that, but I couldn't tell you the name. Those I'm things being really grossed out it, about it by a tiny, you know, as a tiny child at that point. Like, yeah, those things. Um, <laughs> it's it, like really cartoony, but like really gritty mm-hmm. New York City, but in this cartoony way. But it was so dirty and like, yeah, the rats were always in like every painting and like <clears throat> they they played a big part of New York City. <laughs> so then, for for what would be the the weirdest thing that y- you've ever consumed? The thing that you're like, that was way out there. I wasn't expecting to eat that. Well, I lived in France for a long time. So it's a pretty long list of (laughs) kind of horrifying things. You know, foie gras is one of these delicacies that I think people think of as really amazing. But when you actually look at it from the animal cruelty point of view, it's horrific what they do to create this fatty liver. Because that's the translation of it, right? Is It's a fatty liver and they force feed this goose. They bury it. And they force feed this goose until it basically dies. And then they take the liver out and that's foie gras. So for me, that's the most upsetting thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> but there were many other things on the list in France of like. Which mm-hmm. it, it's really fascinating when you think about, you know, because we often think about French culture as kind of like a, could we, if I could use the term like a high culture, you know, like very cultured, very forward thinking or progressive mm-hmm. and, and so on. And then, then you find it, oh, we do this. And. Yeah, that that sounds like an awful practice. I think I think I'm, you know, I'm okay with eating animals, uh, but my preference is to avoid animal cruelty. I really, you know, because animals aren't aren't immortal, uh, nor are we, at least in this form, anyway. The the next is debatable, but um, if if they're not immortal and they're useful to consume, if if they've had a useful life and then and then they get consumed to forward our life, I'm kind of okay with that. Burdock. Burdock. Yeah. Candy burdock. Uh, bitter and sweet because it was candied, but like, hell no, it's burdock. It's you know what burdock is? It's the burrs, right? You know, the burrs, yeah. like, and you're in the woods, you get them stuck in your hair or whatever, right? Okay, and, oh. and like, your mom had to cut your cut them out with scissors because <laughs> you just couldn't get them out. That's what, what velcro is based on, right? Um, and it's where did you eat that? My mom's an herbalist, so like, oh, really. Yeah, we had lots of good stuff. My can, my other candy was like um, 
not lilies, but the, uh, the little purple flowers that grow in the front yard. Crocus? Uh, no. Or the little violets. Violets. The little tiny violets. Ones. The little tiny violets. Uh, candied violets. So she'd take mm. the flowers. That's like a culinary delicacy, though. A lot of chefs, there was a huge, mm. like, flower movement where people were putting lots and lots of edible flowers on things. I have a family yeah. full of chefs, so... <laughs> I see a lot of that was my candy as a kid. Oh, wow. you're ahead of your times. <laughs> and Kara, Kara, what time is this? Well, I think for me, um, the first time I encountered like cabeza tacos, and I was like, what well, didn't register at first, like what I was eating? Because I was just thinking, you know, like maybe that they, they cook the head and they sort of like, no, no, it's literally the brain. And so, because mm. the brain is like just really like a lot of fatty tissue. And so it's kind of good. It's not bad, actually. Like I I would eat it again if if I wasn't worried about getting I don't know some kind of like brain borne disease or something. Like pudding, right? Yeah, it's it's like kind of mushy, weird texture. Um, Like tapioca. Yeah, it's a bit weird in a taco, like as a savory as a warm savory thing for the texture. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it matches up correctly, like when you consume it. Um, Like like pork bellies, kind of. Yeah. yeah, maybe that would be a good way. Yeah, too. yeah. And then we we ate bugs in in many countries. They were, uh, yeah, I couldn't even tell you which ones we ate, but you kind of just put them down the hatch and and uh, hey, look, if you cover them in in like salt and seasonings and flavorings and then <laughs> deep fry them, uh, you know, you can I mean, kind of that, make. That was the French approach with pretty much butter and garlic, right? Like right, that's how yeah. we get snails down. That's how we get frog legs down. All of these things Just with enough butter and garlic, most things are palatable. So what were the yeah, seasonings? Because snails aren't good. No, they're not good. They're really they're not. Water. They're not good. They're like <laughs> little erasers, like little gummy erasers. Is what they they're like, like. always like sand in them. It's just like weird. Yeah, land clams. <laughs> no thanks. Land clams. I've not heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Eris, for you, what's uh, what's the most unique thing you've uh, you've consumed? Tomatoes, tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> raw, right? Because you don't like your vegetables. No, 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 cooked? no. That's the one veg I don't I don't mess with tomatoes at all. I still really? can't get into them. Yeah, so they've even in a sauce. That I can. It's to me, it's like hidden in that sense. But I, I can't can. eat tomatoes either. Really? Not raw, not straight raw. It's in straight gag reflex. The second I like try to eat a raw tomato, the scent of it just really turns me off. So I've never really indulged in uh, tomatoes. But from what you folks are mentioning right now, I've I haven't really stepped out of my comfort zone. What if I do like raw tomato, like on caprese, right? Like with the toast and the. And the balsamic reduction and the mozzarella, like all together, I can eat a raw tomato. But like, like, a, like, like, like a bruschetta, like a bruschetta. Honestly. But like, yeah. but like popping like a cherry tomato in my like a gusher. Has to be diced up and hidden for sure. But yeah, I haven't yeah. tried crickets or camel. Or I'm intrigued. Like I'm in. Ch- I've had chocolate covered crickets. Oh, mm-mm. I don't. Had, I don't know if I could do it. Uh, I've got. I've got a buddy who who nutty. made like cricket protein powder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crick Nutrition, C R I K, and uh, so I used to run a, a supplement store, and we'd run a weekly live show, and and we'd we'd sample different things, and and you know post our reactions live, and so my co-host at the time, 
I didn't tell her what we were sampling. I was like, hey, I've got this new chocolate protein I want you to try, but we're going to try it live on camera first and then get our genuine reaction. <laughs> and her reaction was pretty epic when she realized what she was drinking. Um, well, the unveiling was actually the the owner of the company bursting out from behind the door wearing it like a, a cartoon cricket <laughs> costume, <laughs> which is like green spandex with a giant foamy like cricket head. Like it was... It was actually quite quite the performance. And then she she realized like I was drinking crickets, but they're very, it's really sawdusty. Like it's just very gritty and and sand and sawdusty. So uh, like they're edible. Like we in, in Ontario, there's uh, there's edible insect farms um, where they, where they grow them specifically for this purpose, and and uh, they're really environmentally sound in terms mm -hmm. of uh, and a great source of protein. But it's just sort of chocolate you know, covered ants. Yeah. Yeah. the heart but then you gotta well then if you're trying to be ethical it's like well where did the cocoa come from to make <laughs> some chocolate yeah Every, everyone has blood on their hands <laughs> <laughs> carob it's carob 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 covered hands there you go that, yeah. that that's um, the way to do it no, no i mean carob so unrelevant that like people wouldn't know if it was if it was made poorly or not you know mm -hmm. <laughs> where does carob even come from does uh, it's it's a pod. It's an edible pod, like a legume, I think. A legume, 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 like legume, like really, like a peanut. It's similar, I believe, because I've got a whole thing of carob powder because my wife was doing some AIP for a couple of months, uh, which is a autoimmune uh, protocol, and it's it's quite a strict eating protocol to try and help her with some some issues that she was having, and uh, so we had to bring carob into the mix because chocolate was off the menu which was tragic for my wife. That went out the window when she got pregnant, though. That was like, forget this. We're doing. <laughs> I mean, carob's, yeah. carob's not that bad of a substitute, yeah. really, though. Yeah. I don't think it gives you the high that chocolate does. No, there's no theobromine in it. So, But I want to, I want to bring it back to this, uh, this idea of like breaking bread, because I think there's a really, really cool concept in here, and that is like bringing people together from diverse cultures and differing perspectives and saying, let's have this conversation over food yes. and and see see what happens. Because... I think we uncover that we're probably a lot more the same with a, a lot of similar objectives and uh, it gets lost sometimes. So. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I mean, like, no, Oh, sorry. Go on. No, go ahead. No, no, go. Is it pronounced Ray Sean or Ray Sean? Ray Sean. Rashawn. Rashawn. Say it fast. Say it like, like Rashawn. Yeah. Rashawn. Okay. Like you're Russian. My, yeah. But yeah. my mom, my mom. That'll get you canceled saying that these days. No, like hurrying, not like the. <laughs> yeah, like rush on, rush on, rush yeah. on. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> it doesn't look that way at all. Again, my mother was not good in the phonetics. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like Ray Shan, and I got I, I get called like I've Nick Ray Ray Ray. Like people call me Ray. Shani Shan no Shan no just Ray. MC Shan. You know MC in high, Shan. In high school, I was Rayquan. I was Rashad, Rah Rahid, Rashid. Yeah, you know, honestly, like, when I, mean, I saw you your name, you I, thought, name it, I thought you were black when I saw your name, to be honest. So most people do. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in high school, um <laughs> people were disappointed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but like I, I would I would I would call like a girl's house. This is, this is the nineties, right? So I'd be like, yo, is Tiffany there? And my voice has <laughs> always been deep, right? Because every girl's named Tiffany in the nineties. <laughs> except me. <laughs> except for Chris. But I'd be like, you know, it'd be like, uh, Tiffany, there's a Rashawn on the phone for you. <laughs> and then, like, I come over to the house and I knock on the door and be like, hi. And I'd be like, is Tiffany here? And I'd be like, yeah, can I ask uh, like, Rashawn? And I'm like, oh, you're Rashawn. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I could have showed up with a fucking tattoo on my face, right? But as long as I was white, it was fine. <laughs> I was fine to see Tiffany. Did you grow up in the South? No, I grew up in Ohio. Uh huh. So, uh, people, uh, the truth, truth be told, the North is is more segregated than the South is now. Like as far as like clubs and and working environments and stuff like that. Hmm. Like the South is actually super integrated. Everybody works together, right? Like there's no, there's not like you know the Latino bar, the black bar, the white bar. Like everybody just goes to the same place. But like Chicago, New York, Columbus, you know, like you have the districts and like you have certain bars where certain people go. And that's just that's just how it is. Unless mm. it's a tourist thing. LA's and it's, it's not like, like that, that well. in the South. No, it's interesting. Because I was quite shocked by that in L.A. Because I hadn't really experienced that until moving there. And there were definitely places where if you didn't know what you were walking into, you know, and, and that goes for even some of the Asian markets because they have these massive, amazing Asian markets with amazing things in them. But you walk in and you go, ooh. <laughs> I don't know how long I get to be in here, you know, before this this escalates. So it's really interesting that you say that. I thought that was because I grew up in New England and I didn't have I, that experience I mean, I there. I always then. thought that before I moved to the South was like, oh, you know, like you would think it's it's the other way around, but it really it really isn't. <clears throat> interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to breaking bread because there's some really cool <laughs> cultural stuff to talk about in here. Um, I think, and John did a good job of trying to bring us back around to talking about that because I think what you're the idea and the premise behind what you've got there is is pretty awesome from the point of view of like it's such a deeply ingrained thing, the sharing of food, right? It's sharing of resources mm-hmm. at base. The only problem implies the, trust. The only problem is that people start arguing about how they don't like the other person's food and that's where the fight comes. Have you tried this? Like have you sort of beta no, tested it off, no, off screen? No, no. I mean, yeah, sure, off screen. Like, but I don't know that it was like I mean, we beta tested every Thanksgiving. I think every family beta tested every Thanksgiving, right? Maybe not with such a diverse. Maybe not in Canada. People, not in right? Canada. Maybe not in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> you have Thanksgiving in Canada. It's just you not the Christmas. Same time. You gotta, you know, there's a yeah, holiday we, where the whole family gets together, and you're like, God damn it, I gotta put up a fucking crazy Uncle Jim, <laughs> right? And yeah, Harris is like, no, I don't have that problem. Look at him. <laughs> like, my Thanksgiving is super chill. It's Christmas not even in November. He's like, no, it's cool. Everything's He's cool. In my house. Head. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm just thinking about like John. You know, like the, just again going back to breaking bread because yesterday I was having a conversation with someone and we were sharing like our not our likes or dislikes, but kind of like. Just whatever is important to us. It was a it was a woman, and we were just like picking each other's brains on what our types are when it comes to relationships, and just and I brought up food because food has always played an important role in my life. Like it, it's not just you know filling my tummy, uh, especially when being in a relationship, let's say, or a fam, you know, the family environment. It, it really makes people feel comfortable, and there's energy there where it's like. You're sitting next to a person. Like, have you ever thought about when you go to a restaurant, like tables kind of separate us, even though we're sitting across from one another, there's this big separation. I want to sit next to the person and eat with them to get that vibe and that connection because I don't want to be separated. I want to like how we feel when we eat together means something to me anyway. 
whether it's with family or a significant other, et cetera. So the concept of breaking bread is, I think it, it plays a bigger role than we even think, you know, like food is. It's, it's a huge diffuser. It's the thing that really brings the world together. It's the thing that links cultures, you know, the chicken wing, right? The fried chicken wing is found around the world in every culture. It's one of the few things that's in like almost every culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that, that anywhere is, you go, you can share a chicken wing with somebody and they all know what, a, you know, they all love a fried piece of fried chicken. Food and music, really. It's it's univer- yeah, universal. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's really good reasons for that. Right. Like music is something we get to do when we have free time, which means we've been successful. Right. So from a cultural anthropology perspective, if you don't have time to do anything but survive, you don't make music, you don't make art, you don't spend these time this time on these things because it's too precious of a resource, right? So the same thing with food. When we look back at like the origin of why we share food, we're sharing survival with somebody else. So how can you not be collaborative with that person that you're choosing to share your resources with? It's super primal, right? And I think it's it's one of the easiest ways to get people to, to calm down and collaborate is to do that. And so my question for you, Iris, is when you're on a date, where do you sit? Next to her. <laughs> Next to her. Same Even cider, a first sir. date? Same cider. First, tenth. We, here's the I, It gets like to see someone's reaction when you say, hey, I want to sit next to you. It shows how programmed a lot of like it's just such a weird thing to even fathom. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. they're like, whoa, sit next to me. Uh, Yeah. Like. This table is a, let's move this table out the way actually and come closer. Maybe put the food in our laps or something, you know, like we need to be. Speaking of which. Yeah. Have you ever had Ethiopian cuisine? Not yet. No. Ethiopian's fantastic because it's a giant like basket in Uh the middle of the table. Yeah. Right. And you sit on the floor and you basically all like you should use the bread. Right. But if you don't, it's no biggie because you can just scoop it with your hand. And it's this ultimate sharing. Right. Because you're you're sharing like kind of germs and stuff, too. Right. So you better hope. And there used to be rules about which hand you used. Left for the left for the wiping. I'm such a bachelor that I don't even have a table to eat on at my apartment. So when women come over, we eat on the floor. Dude, you just got to be like, this we is Ethiopian cuisine. You're going to get yeah, like bring, so many cool points. We yeah. cook and we put the plates <laughs> on the floor. We sit and we talk and we indulge. And, and that's yeah. it. Like that's, you bring everyone. Took, we went to an Ethiopian restaurant for season three of Beyond the Check in Texas and a taste of Ethiopia. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's actually two restaurants. We went to their second one and actually over to the first one. Um, but they're all like, you know, from Ethiopia, mm-hmm. traditional and making cool. that bread. There's like one lady, yeah. there's just one lady and she, she makes it at the, nobody at the else is allowed. Shop. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh, and she doesn't speak English, but she, that's all she does. She's, she, I, I had my camera girl back in that room with her for like an hour, just watching her make this bread. And she just came out just, just covered in sweat. She just like, oh my God, there's like a sauna back there. And there's just little old Ethiopian ladies back there just making the bread all day long. Just like, that yep. perfect puffy like Ethiopian bread is super. I don't know why it doesn't. She makes it look easy. It's just a science back there. But like, if you try to make it at home, it's damn near impossible to get this like <laughs> fluffy, spongy Ethiopian bread. 
Yeah, there's a secret. I haven't figured it out. I've tried a couple times too, and I can't get it because I've had some amazing Ethiopian food and been like this. I'm going to make this, right? And then I'm like, nope. You tried to get it out of her. Yeah. She didn't speak English. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Or at least that's what she said. (laughs) <laughs> well, in uh, in Malaysia, Malaysia is a really interesting place because it's quite a it's actually quite a cultural, like a South Asian cultural melting pot. Like mm-hmm. there is there is obviously Malays are the dominant uh, ethnic part of the population, but there's there's quite a few like large ethnic minority groups in there as well. And uh, yeah, we went to a restaurant and food was served on a banana leaf. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you they just reach in there and grab it and scoop it and stir it and whatever, and you go okay. Uh, guess this is how we're doing this, and yep. you just kind of you just kind of get used to it. It's um, for, from our you know I guess I don't say cult, even cultured because I don't you know it's just a different culture is all it is. But from from like my cultural perspective, it was like when the first person just reached in there barehanded and started scooping food out, I was like, um, God, now I just want okay? Ethiopian food so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but That's interesting. When, Go ahead. I was right. going to say once once I just kind of got into it, I was like, "Cool, this is how we do this." You know, what? I'm just going to throw away whatever objections I have and just just go into this and be present in this experience. And it, and you know what, the food was amazing, and it was kind of a mixture between Indian and Malaysian food. And so, yeah. How was your experience with the people doing that? Like, did you feel a difference when you were eating that way with other people? Yeah, definitely feel more connected. It, it's more it's more personal and more intimate to eat that way. It it, it just is, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Sharing's caring. Well, and you can see this across different cultures. Like you you can, when we talk about, you know, categorizing different cultures versus warmer, colder, um, there's like lots of different domains we can use to sort of describe and allocate traits to a culture. And we talk about these warmer cultures or these places that live in warmer um, areas. Um, very often they're much closer and they're closer in their eating styles. They're closer in their living quarters. They're closer in all of these different domains and they have better family bonds and stronger family bonds and so these things are not separate right they're very correlated what about what about uh and chris i wanted to ask you i don't know what your how what your life dynamic is like if you have a family or if you cook for 100 people or it's just you solo but what about breaking bread with oneself Oh, she's got like 18 children, so it's really difficult. I do not have 18 children. (laughs) I have one child. Hey, Lamar's back. Welcome back. I have a daughter and a husband. (laughs) My husband's English, so I I live in a multicultural marriage, which, you know, people are always like, oh, it's not. But it is. (laughs) There's definitely things that are different. For Um, sure. But there's like a spiritual, I feel like there's a spiritual connection to the food that we eat, even when we're eating by ourselves, you know? Like this food was, let's say if you're a carnivore. This food was killed and caught and whatever. And, you know, like there's that that used to be alive, this thing that's on your plate. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of people who are religious or have their beliefs, they bless the food first. or they say thank you because there's that connection when you're whether you're eating with others or by yourself, you know. So mm-hmm. what are our feelings when we're eating by ourselves versus breaking bread with others? It's actually a really important question because this is, and John knows this too. John is going to nod and smile at what I'm about to say because he's <laughs> got the same kind of training as me. But like when we look at the experience of, of eating and then digesting food, like when we take mm-hmm. our time and we slow down and we appreciate and we eliminate distractions from our eating experience, like our whole health improves. 
mm. for a thousand different reasons, which we could spend an entire hour talking about, right? But like, it's it's incredibly important whether you're on your own or in a group or cooking for a hundred people or just your cats, like that you take that time to nurture yourself because it you can't replace it any other way. And it's why food traditions have survived the way that they have for so long. It is such an integral part of human health. Mm, so- yeah, what's interesting is I just uh, yesterday recorded a meditation. Uh, so I'm also a meditation instructor. And, and so I recorded one on mindful eating. And, mm-hmm. and at the heart of it was really taking an item of food and looking at it and thinking about what did it take for this food to end up in your hand? You know, where was it grown? Mm-hmm. How was it harvested, shipped, delivered, prepared before you go to eat it? And then you take it and then you, you smell it. And what feelings, what 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 is emoted when you smell that food? Be present with it. All of these things happen before it ever enters your mouth. Yeah. You know, and I think about the way that we we very often eat, or the way that I used to eat, uh, I should speak for myself, really, uh, like a seagull swallowing a tennis ball. Americans, I'll, I'll, I'll prove it. <laughs> We yeah, forget. absolutely. We I'm glad you said it because I was going to say it. If you didn't. <laughs> we forget this is American culture. Yes, <laughs> we forget that we're actually eating while we're eating because, uh, like Chris said, the distractions. Like we're not even focusing on what we're putting into our body. Like showing an appreciation for it. Let's say, mm. you know what I mean? Because how well, it's even in the words that we choose. Yeah. We we stuff our faces. We grab something on the go. We we know that mm. it's in all of the marketing. It's it's very much baked into it. And when we say we don't have food culture, we're wrong, right? We absolutely do. It's just mm. that it's very very different than it historically was, or really should be for human health, right? And if you look at even the indigenous populations who were already here and how they would pray and thank the animal that they had killed and use all of the animal, all of this stuff is baked into so many cultures and we're the exception. Mm. My mother always did uh, tobacco prayers in the morning, East, West, North, South. Mm -hmm. Right. And she'd always, you know, she ingrained in us to, you know, thank, thank the dandelion, you know, when you pick it, even to just, you know, Mm -hmm. have just pop off your sister's head. (laughs) So thank (laughs) that dandelion before, before you do that. Yeah, and I didn't even know I was doing it like in the first season of the show. But like when I would eat meat, I would I, particularly I think it was veal. It was a veal dish, and I was like, I gotta thank this. I gotta thank the baby cow that you know this came from before you know eat it. And I just started doing it all the time. I I thank I thank the animal before I eat it on the show. <laughs> like and I'm like I didn't know I was doing it at first, and now I do it on purpose. But mm, okay, yeah. Well, there's something to be said for expressing gratitude just as a practice in general, how it improves our experience of life. Just the ability to even reframe and say like, because I feel as though we've kind of lost a connection to it because maybe we've been uh, conditioned to kind of have certain expectations or a sense of entitlement. And maybe it makes me sound like an old on my way to being a boomer or something like that. (laughs) Shake shake our fist. And it's not really the younger generation's fault. I'm not speaking down to the younger generation, but what I'm seeing is in a sense, we're being taught this or being conditioned this Mm -hmm. to expect this. And the the act of gratitude is, has been pushed into kind of the realm of like the woo, you know, it's, it's making a comeback as neuroscience is recognizing the value of gratitude and human happiness. But, it's it's really a lost practice to just look at like look at things with the uh, an eye of appreciation and go wow you know what did it take for me to have this microphone right in front of me right now how many different metals and minerals are making up this microphone i'm willing to bet unfortunately that there were probably children in africa in in child labor mines harvesting the rare earth metals that make up this microphone i'm speaking from and so 
you know, I mean, I, I guess we kind of just have to make peace with the reality of the world that we live in, in a sense. But I know that I'm trying to become a more conscious consumer as, as an older person. Location. It's the hardest thing I think that, that the human race probably has to face is, is with all the toys, all the tech, all, all the, the distractions that are in the world and more and more coming every day that if we don't get the production under control or mm. streamlined for sustainability, then you, you, you're not going to have any of that shit to play with anymore. Yeah. Mm. But I think it's our world. Like when we say the human race, it's really like the North, the North American human race or like the, the races, the human races that have such access to so many things that allow us to mm -hmm. indulge things and show no appreciation for it. because i'm sure there are other places on this planet that already act the way or practice the ways that we're speaking about and wish that we did mm -hmm. but we're so desensitized to everything that everything is so normalized for us the we consumption don't, nation we don't even have to pay attention to it we just exist yeah. and we yeah, i think so many we expect in so many cases our culture so many countries are trying to adapt our culture Mm -hmm. They want they be they want to be like us in terms of our food habits, um, because it looks appealing to the people who don't have it. You exactly. look at how many times McDonald's popped up in other countries, and these countries were so excited to have the American fast food. Um, so I think our culture has definitely spilled over into um, first world nations. Yep, and, <clears throat> you know that's that's I think where it becomes a more inclusive. Um, title to to place on the world because our culture has been seen as the leader, so to speak, of, of the world. So, in so many areas, our democracy has extended to the food as well. I think I'm about to voice a really unpopular opinion. I was I wanted um, to loop you in on this. I was like, I knew you were coming for me. So, <laughs> I, I would say that up until around 20 years ago, that was absolutely the case, and I would say that a lot of the time that I spent abroad, I witnessed a lot of pushback against American culture and being an American in France was a super interesting experience. <laughs> oh, that's um, France. They hate us. They, well, it's not <laughs> that they hate us. It's that they, they're literally sort of our cultural, like they have so many things that are similar to us that they hate us because of their similarities. And yet, and then they have this incredible traditionalism that's super juxtaposed to the American or Westernized way of, uh -huh. of doing things. And so, you know, they, they kind of exist in this really weird space of like, they hate us because they ain't us, but there's also a like, we really want to be you, but not totally like you. And so they're an interesting culture to compare to for that reason, because they are ruthlessly traditionalist, you know, when it comes to like, this is the French way you will come here, you will speak French, we are not going to tolerate anything less. And even if you try to speak French at a subpar level, we will mock you ruthlessly, <laughs> you know, and they're a very direct culture too. So they're not going to pull any punches when they if they look at you and they don't like something they will be like, Oh, your nose is like, whoa, what's that on your face kind of thing. And, you, and they're very conditioned as a people to take that. And I think something Eris was saying is this idea, that's really important is to remember that there are all of these other places in the world that don't have a Western mentality around this. I was actually in this conversation with them. Um, I'm in this coaching group and I was talking to these other coaches and he was just banging on about protein requirements and how it was absolutely cast in stone, how much people needed to eat, how many grams of protein per day people needed to eat. And I was like, well, have you read any research that's come from a non-Western country? And he was like, why would I do that? 
And I was like, well, because like there's an entire other half of the world that does not see things this way and does not see protein as the end all be all of all macronutrients. Right. So like, it's really important to remember your inherent biases. It's important to be able to like see where you're be consciously biased, right. Versus unconsciously biased. Well, just even the idea that we have become affluent enough Mm -hmm. as a society to make, to be able to prioritize protein consumption, like because we have such an abundance of food available to us. And people will argue with you that meat is, is still to this day with all the science on the on the planet there. They would just be like, no, meat's the best. Right. <clears throat> just blatantly, just straight up. And that's it. There's no yep. convincing them that that a vegan can like still lift a truck. Right. Even though some of the some of the like best bodybuilders and weightlifters in the world are vegans. Right. Absolutely. And that's, that's a fact. Yeah. Bill Pearl always comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best in, in the business and even today still looks phenomenal. I think he's in his eighties now mm-hmm. and still looks phenomenal. And phenomenal. can function too. I think that's the thing too. And this is the dark side. Like I was saying before we went live of, of some of the fitness industry is this like this dogmatic adherence to a specific diet, right? right. Or a specific set of dietary tenants. And the reality is that, the, you know, you hit your sixties and late sixties, seventies, and your health is not what you were promised, right? Your mobility is poor. There's all sorts of other things that crop up because you were fundamentally neglecting these nutrient needs right? <laughs> for right. the sake of this bodybuilder diet, right? So yeah. Well, here's another blame in your joints the whole time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I always like to be like, well, what about gorillas? You know, cause people, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Rhinos. Rhinos. I wouldn't mess with one of those elephants, yeah. right? For real. <laughs> yeah. But some of the biggest animals on the planet are actually vegetarian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, no, they or do. sorry, herbivores. They wouldn't consider themselves vegetarians, but that's right. weird. <laughs> well, I don't but, know. But, Ask the elephant. That's true. <laughs> but a gorilla does Dude, have a different digestive paint, tract so. than we do, I think. So, oh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, elephant painting. Just on that note, I was in Singapore, <laughs> and we were at the zoo, and I was running out. Of, I was just low on my Singaporean dollars, and I, I had a choice between getting a taxi back to my hotel or buying this painting that an elephant had painted. Oh, really? And I, I opted Did for the taxi. No, because no. I, I was like, well, I was like, oh, it, it, it would have been like a four-hour walk back to my hotel, and I had to catch a plane. And so I was, I but I did feed the elephant. I did get to feed him like apples and stuff, and it was really, it was really cool. But um, so that I, that is a regret that I have that I didn't get the elephant painting though. But something that that I think about because I don't, I, I guess I don't think the consumption of meat is inherently bad. But when we think about how we're raising the animals, I think this is maybe a part of it too. Because I think each one of us has a a thought around being ethical consumers in some way, or shape, or form. And if we were to see the conditions that sort of animal husbandry has has you know brought about in this North American culture versus say the way that animals used to be raised mm-hmm. and and produced and what they used to eat. And so if we wonder why why and this is just me thinking out loud, really, but maybe why this excess meat consumption is creating poor health. If we look at what the animal is fed first before it's it's slaughtered and butchered, that I think that affects the quality of what we're consuming. Mm. And it's but this- go one step farther and <laughs> think about what kind of soil was the feed that they're being fed raised in and how was that yes. you know managed and replenished. Right. And I think the reality is this is a big circle, right? This is, you know, I'm gonna get all woo-woo for like 30 seconds and I Fire away. pull it back with an inappropriate <laughs> joke. But like it's you know, we're literally all just made of the same stardust, right? And that stuff just gets recycled and how we allocate it and use it and appreciate it matters to our overall well-being because we 
as human beings, we are super convinced that we should separate ourselves from the rest of the ecosystem we live in. And it's, it's bullshit really. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's one of the biggest things we have to overcome in order to sustainably continue to be here. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I look at as well (laughs) is what are the emotions and the feelings that the animals having, what chemicals are being released into the animals um, when, when they're being killed and then we're consuming all of that stuff that's left in, in the system. Um, all of those things play, have an impact because we think mm-hmm. about how we sleep and how we eat and how our bodies respond to certain other factors like training and, and, and yep. you know, cardiovascular strength training and the things that we carry within us impact our muscles. So, I mean, the same thing goes into the animal and, and, going back to the soil and going back to how they're raised. Um, like you said, it's, it's an entire system that, you know, we, we become so privileged that we don't even consider those things. And people don't think about where their food comes from. And a lot of people don't have the privilege. Let's be real about it. People and don't have the privilege of caring where their food comes no, from they don't. No, in a lot of places. Hun- hmm. Even in America, hmm. it's a financial thing. Like, oh, for sure. It, it, it's, it, and I think it's, it's more easily prevalently seen in America when you have options, right? Where you mm-hmm. have the right. options and yet you still can't afford to eat healthy, right? You still have to buy the wonder bread because you have to feed the kids something. And if you buy the expensive bread, you're not gonna be able to buy the peanut butter. Or it may not be <clears throat> even available. And I think this is the, the cold hard reality of a lot of places in America. There are some very vast food deserts here, you know, and it's, it's not a pretty thing to think about. And we like to think about ourselves as this developed nation that, you know, is super awesome and amazing. And a very large portion of our population is suffering in a real way on a yeah. daily basis. So, you know, it's again, until we're ready as a culture and as a country to take a look at those really shitty choices we've made over the last several decades, <laughs> we're going to keep repeating the same crap. I mean, I don't know, just not I really to go like for this boomers, girl. but I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> That's you're, why she's on this conversation. Cool, <laughs> yeah. You should, you should have her on Beyond the Check, clearly. Like yeah, you, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> I, I am such a foodie. And I like I said, I have a family full of chefs. So like. <laughs> we're hanging out. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Eris, you were you were uh, going to bring something in there. He was having a thousand he's, thoughts. He's, he's got to real wait, hard. Give him a second. I, have, I like what all of you are saying, but specifically <laughs> what Chris is saying because I could, I I hear her. You know, um, I think I was going to ask. Uh, do you believe? I, I just wanted to pose a question because, like, we talk about uh what we all should be consuming and what's good for us versus what's bad do you do you guys and girls believe that like that's an individual thing or is that on a collective level because our bodies we're we're all different individually right we could all indulge in different things and kind of stomach different things and mm. for an example right like i can't i can't eat beef like i just can't it doesn't sit well with me I get the runs right away. I can't have minced really? meat. That's why I'm nine, I'm nine years in. No pork, no beef. For like, because it just doesn't sit well with my body. My body knows itself. Like, I, I, I'm okay with other things, you know? So there's like this individual spectrum and then there's this collective spectrum and there's yeah. always these debates about what's good for us, what we should be eating. We see these young kids, they got GMOs out the wazoo and that's why their bodies are like fully developed at like 12 <sighs> 11, 10, and we kind of might, we might've missed that threshold, right? But they're not eating, they're probably eating worse than how we ate or how whatever, right? So what are our thoughts on that? On like what's good for us versus what's not? 
such a hugely awesome question, by the way. Like, I <laughs> doubled that. Like, nothing who wants you, to start that one? <laughs> nothing that tastes good. Chris, you inspire me. You know? not, not, nothing that is so delicious that you want to eat it every day is going to be good for you. That's definitely true. And I think moderation. it's often... Anything well, in but moderation. I think it is, it, it, moderation is totally fine. Meat should be in moderation because any mm. of the meat that you are going to buy today isn't going to have the nutrients all the way down from the fucking soil. Nope. That, mm. that, that the meat that our great grandparents even had, right? And mm. it's bad for you. It's all carcinogenic. No, there is no meat. You're going to so buy it from the grocery is, store that's not going to give you, that's, put, that's not going to at least push your body towards. So what is, what is an unhealthy state? Just no, moderation? Everything? No, else? I think I think that the thing is that, again, we want to make this binary, right? And every time you find mm -hmm. yourself tempted to make it binary, as in like, what's good, what's bad, what do we do, what shouldn't we do? It's dangerous because the system's too complex for that. So it's kind of, I kind of look at it as a tiered approach. And John and I have been working on this model for expansive change for a little while and talking about like, there's personal choices you have to make. Mm. Right. So like for you, particularly, Eris, you figured out that beef doesn't sit well with you. Is that because beef itself is inherently bad? Is it the the cows mm. that you're eating? Is it the environment the cows were raised in? Maybe if you went to another country and you ate a cow, it would be totally fine. Maybe right. not. Maybe it is beef. But you don't have enough capacity to influence or control your environment enough to make that decision for sure. So for you on an individual level, no beef. Does that mean that you should then go around and tell everybody else not to eat beef? Probably not because yeah. it may just be a biology thing. But if we go level up, like let's talk about why maybe we shouldn't eat beef. It's not super sustainable. It takes a huge amount of resources. We're and not treating those animals so very cute. well. Cows are really nice people. Have you met enough cows to be sad about eating them yet? I have. Pigs are, and I pigs still... are as smart as the elephant. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is the thing. It's very easy They're again like to just... make it binary. These are animals because mm. to, to go back to this socially acceptable or culturally acceptable series of animals we eat versus don't eat. It's completely arbitrary and it's completely based on environment and availability and also, you know, culture, religion, culture. Yeah. Um, you know, and what was passed down through generations. Right. What that you have access to as well. Yeah. And what you have and access to. Right? What about dealing with the psychology of not being able to eat? You know, you having the knowledge, mm. but not having the ability to follow the knowledge, and that, and I'm sure yeah. there's a million people on the planet. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting here; I'm one of them. You know, like yeah. I'm not allergic to anything. I have zero allergies. <laughs> I can eat whatever I want, right? Yeah. And but yeah, I, right. and I'm a hypocrite, right? I can sit here and say, you know, that you know, you sh meat should be a 10% of your plate thing, not a 80% of your plate thing, yeah. right? But but I'm a hypocrite because when I go to a restaurant. I'm still gonna order the plate. Like a sixty-four ounce steak, didn't you? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, don't I don't order steak anymore. I actually don't eat steak. I will eat steak like in a sandwich. I, I, miss I, I can't. I can't just sit and eat a steak. It doesn't taste good to me anymore. About mm. two years ago, I was eating a steak, and I, my wife oh, loves steak, man. and I'm just like, I don't, nope. Just don't. Like well, because the, the other piece of the puzzle that that, um, that gets missed here is we think about like how food is engineered. So we talk about yeah. moderation and that's such an interesting thing to try to do when it's like food in particular food products are engineered in a way to bypass the mechanism in our brain that would act as like a rate limiter or a, what's the word, a governor, essentially. They're mm -hmm. engineered to specifically bypass that. So moderation is next to impossible because it accesses a different part of our brain and it triggers us. So it's like, you, you know, uh, for, for me, it would be maybe uh, chocolate chip cookies. Uh, I, I I can sort of override that, but you know, it's. Yeah, you it's don't want another one. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My brain is screaming for more. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I'm, I would say like, I'm a recovered binge eating food addict and, and there's a whole backstory behind how I got to that place. But for me to like, I have to almost engineer my environment and say to my wife, don't bring certain things into the house because it's just mm-hmm. easier for me not to face that struggle and have to fight it every day because I have a brain that wants that. Yeah. But that's the system problem, right? So we were kind of mm. working our way out and then you have forces that work down upon you too, right? And you have these systems that have been allowed to thrive, which do not promote optimal human health. They don't. That's not what they're yeah. for. It's God, it's no. capitalism. It's profit-based, mm-hmm. right? We're, we are a hustle profit society and we don't care what the cost of that is currently. You know, and that sounds very cynical, possibly, but that's no. why you get things like highly palatable food, palatable foods that you can't stop eating, right? And they're hyper abundant and they're cheap. We've like that's yeah. the trifecta of doom, right? And then we tell people they don't have any I love willpower. It. The trifecta of doom and that it yeah. is Cheetos. <laughs> and you get kids on it and you know i can remember when they rolled back the marketing um Fucking in, in the mid crackers. 80s i believe right when they started yeah. marketing cereal specifically to children and this fundamentally changed the the dynamic in families and how they spent their money does yeah. anyone were, does anyone uh, eat those any of their like fun cereals anymore, or have your taste buds just totally changed and now you're eating like the old man cereals like Shreddies and? I make, <laughs> I make my own granola, which is basically like I, glorified. Get off this call. <laughs> so boring and I regular, and but I will stand by being regular. I don't drink okay. milk anymore, so I stop. <laughs> okay, I stop okay. buying cereal when I stop buying milk. Well, I, I do like macadamia <laughs> and coconut milk, which makes me sound like I don't know. But because uh, I can't do dairy milk either, I can do cheese because it, yeah. it cheese is aged in a way that I seem to be able to digest yes, it. But milk, too. I can't yeah. do. I have to get lactose free. Yeah, no. or uh, drink almond milk. Not almond milk. Sorry. Um, well, oat yeah, milk. Oat milk. like the, the the almond industry is a whole nother kettle of fish that I, we won't dive into <laughs> in this conversation. But we've uh, milked too many plants at this point. We really just need <laughs> to give it up. It's like. But now I'm super want some cocoa crispies. <laughs> mine was fruity pebbles actually that was mine so i don't like the cocoa suck. ones fruit loops taste weird to me they just they throw me right off they're they're yeah. weird and, and, and but harvest crunch which if harvest you look at crunch? harvest crunch is this type maybe That's it's only so available canadian. so okay it's probably canadian okay eris <laughs> knows what i'm talking about yeah, yeah. At, least, at least one person knows i like it i actually yeah. like it. <laughs> there's some old man cereals i enjoy but, but what are like grape nuts? Is it like little tiny rocks? Is that what it <laughs> oh is? That they've just God. branded it differently? Well, the thing with Harvest Crunch, though, is you look at the caloric density of it. So what I did is I compared 300 calories of Harvest Crunch to 300 calories of green beans and took a photo of it. And what I had was like this mountain of green beans that I couldn't fit on a single plate. I had to put on like yeah. a platter. And then I had this bowl that was like a th- sadly filled with about three tablespoons of this stuff because somehow, even though... Because we, we equate the crunchiness to maybe there's fiber and maybe it's a starchy carbon slow digesting. No, it's not. This is this is just glorified sugar bombs like dressed up with a couple of oats to make you feel special. Mm. <laughs> well, but some of these cereals, like the, the names of them have like mm. subliminal messaging. Like yeah. for example, Shreddies, it helps you shred. Like it keeps you regular. Um, life, it has some stuff in there that apparently like well, is good there that are good for you. That'll keep you, you know, and special K and the marketing. That was some dirty stuff they did with the special K. Yeah. 
Special K was the worst. Special K was the worst. Wait, is Wheaties still good for you? <clears throat> Do athletes well, the still eat Wheaties? Is, uh, none of my athletes eat Wheaties. But like, <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did you say about Special K? What happened with Special K? Well, Special K was like it was marketed as a weight loss cereal for ever, yeah, forever. It had to be over a decade, and it would always have like a. Ta- I remember it really clearly as a young woman. Yes, there was a I tape remember. measure in the commercial, and they yeah. would measure. The woman's oh. waist or whatever, oh, and then be I like, oh, special cake for breakfast. And I remember having it and thinking, yeah. like, I'm so fucking hungry right now. How <laughs> is that bitch that thin? I like I can air. actually vividly remember that red dress, white white tape measure. Yes, yeah. Totally. Is this a Mandela out. effect thing? We're gonna find out the dress was blue. Oh. That's what's gonna happen, right? <laughs> or the dress was white and the tape measure was red. Yeah. Right, totally. But yeah, no, and I I can remember as a young female. Um, who was struggling with my weight, just being really shamed by Special K. Yeah, that was deep. Sorry, that's twice. No, yeah. there, there was like an amazing the betrayal was there. real. <laughs> it was. I'm still crying over it. <laughs> go, go back to this footage and grab that clip of you ranting on Special K. And make it a TikTok or a reel <laughs> no, or something like that. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> well, Sam it, likes but, to grab like the few moments where I rant and sound like irrationally angry and like, be like. <laughs> what she said i'm like but i said other things too (laughs) (laughs) but it's the emotive stuff where the passion Mm -hmm. comes out where you go there's something here right it's we we were allowed yeah we were screwed with though that's not allowed well in this podcast it is that's the whole reason why i drag (laughs) you into this because i'm like bring the fire bring the noise um but we we were like in in a sense we were kind of screwed with as kids the way that we were marketed to and we had no idea no. And I, I, you know, any of us who are over 40, which I think excludes Eris, sorry, we're, we're going <laughs> to, the rest of us who are, who've crossed over the fourth decade of life, you <laughs> the know, rainbow bridge of yeah. middle age. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're staring down the backside of the hill. <laughs> I'll, get there. I'll get there soon. I'll get there in a decade. We all have a birthday, you know, we all have a birthday. <laughs> it's not about the age. It's about the stage, the stage Ooh. of life. Uh, there we go. There's the poet like coming out. <laughs> I, I, be, I, I felt when I was 16, I felt 30. So yeah, I, spoken I, by I a man who doesn't old. grunt when he picks something up off the floor yet. You wait, you wait, son. I just got been on that floor and pick something up. And you go, oh, you're gonna know. You're gonna be like, ah, Chris told me. I, she I saw this. this. Fu- I saw this funny video <laughs> online. I think it was yesterday or the day before, and it was depicting what it was like to get out of your bed in the morning at different stages of your life. So the guy was a teenager and he jumped out of the bed, right? As a teenager in his twenties, he kind of just like kind of rolled out, you know, slowly. And then in his thirties, the moment he stepped out of bed, he broke, like, he like broke his knee and fell down. He couldn't even get out the bed properly. Hey, I, I have two brand new hips and I'm 42. Ooh. <laughs> I only have one. I, you, oh Yeah. <laughs> Like well, I, it's not a brand new hip. You have two hips. But, but I still have two yeah. hips. Yeah, they my, still don't my, lie. I have a two-year-old hip and a two-month-old hip. Ooh, is this, wow. this has become like a horror show now. Are you guys trying to scare me? What happened? What happened? I had, I had dysplasia, so it, it was. Oh, you know, I had the opposite. I had FAI. Punch, man. So you have because dysplasia is flat, right? And FAI dysplasia is, is like deep. oblong, so like yeah. it, it okay. turned to egg shape. It and slips around like your femur, slips around out, and ground out all the cartilage. So it's just yeah, like a mortar and pestle with that. I'm looking, mm-hmm. I'm looking for the Lazarus pit right now. You guys know where it is? <laughs> okay, I'll tell you the secret, though. Get a wife that's 10 years younger than you, 
Buy a Tesla at 40. <laughs> Single for life. Get, get a couple dogs that are tiny and cute and pretend that they're babies. And you'll, gonna, be, you'll be fine. We're, we're close here because I just bought an electric mini. I have three cats. <laughs> and I moved to Colorado. So I can go outside all the time. <laughs> Guys, I'm, I'm living like John Wick. I'm a single dad with a puppy. I drive a Dodge Challenger with no children, no wife in sight. Your table's on the floor. Is your mattress also still on the floor? That's the check of a true bachelor. I I sleep on a futon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's the like I leveled up. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know, uh, I don't know what what generation I'm a part of or how close I am. I ask God, every morning. I pray. I say, God, please send me a nice woman. And I don't know, man. <laughs> Slim pickings out here, you know. I gotta move to like uh, somewhere foreign or maybe. I know you don't want the table, but it might help just maybe a table and some chairs. <laughs> okay, okay. I have a confession. I do I do have a table, but it's used as an <laughs> altar. Like I'm okay. very I'm spiritual and I practice certain things. And the table that I do have is like an altar. It has some special things on there and my you know I mean that's nice. Rich, I'm sure Tiffany ritual. will love it. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon? I'm saying I'm sure Tiffany will love it. <laughs> well, I met three and none of them did. So no, we're good. Dang. Dog All right. Don't date Tiffany's. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, I was going to recommend that, but that seems mean also. I'm sure there's good <laughs> Tiffany's out there, but. Yeah. What's an actress that had the name Tiffany? Tiffany, obviously there's Tiffany Haddish, but wasn't there another one from. There's the a, a musician. Tiffany Amber Thiessen, she was on Saved by the yes, Bell. Yes, 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 she was. <laughs> yes, that's the and, only Tiffany. And she's album. back. She's back on Saved by the Bell, the new season, uh, the new edition. It's on, uh, There's new Saved by the Bell? Yes, they have new yeah. Saved by the Bell. It's <laughs> on season two now. The new, yeah, the new it's, on, it's on, what's it on? It's on Peacock. Right. Zach yeah. back. I might watch it if there's still Zach. I don't know. Zach's back. You think, think everyone's back except for Screech? Right? Yeah, because Screech. Oh died. no, Screech! Come on, Screech died. Screech di- yeah, Screech, Screech died Powell. Of cancer. Screech oh died yeah. Of Wait, the character or the actor? No, the, the Dustin actor. Diamond. Dustin Diamond. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, well, my wife. My wife he is chain smoked like me. it was his job. So he died of lung cancer. My buddy she, actually. My buddy actually hung out with him two weeks before. Um, no way. Before he passed away. Mm-hmm. He was. He was still smoking a pack of cigarettes in about an hour. Time. <laughs> wow that that's uh, that's a really interesting just sort of segue into into behaviors that we know are unhelpful but we continue to do because they solve a problem mm-hmm. you know they yeah. yeah that's a whole nother podcast john we've got whole like, nother podcast john but uh saved yeah. by the bell yes yeah, zach is governor of new york wow yeah <laughs> he'll do a better job than the previous one it's actually it's actually not bad i didn't i, I didn't I didn't want to watch it, but my wife was like, let's just, come on, let's just check it out. And actually, it's it's pretty. They brought all the kids from, so uh, underprivileged schools were closing down. And so, like, the Slater transfer in the original Saved by the Bell, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, you know, the traveling uh, military kid, who's, you know, the outsider comes in. Right. Well, now they have two, a whole school of outsiders that comes and joins Bayside. So you have all these outsiders mingling with, like, the preppy Bayside people and Oh. It's more draw. Yeah, it's good. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> anyway. Does it compete with Cobra Kai though? Because... I was just going to say. Oh Cobra no, Kai. not at all. That, <laughs> okay. Cobra Kai is so yeah. Cobra Kai. I haven't gotten into it yet. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah, it's, I like. I like the. I don't know. I didn't really like Karate Kid when I was growing up, but you, you might appreciate it. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cobra Kai is the, it's kind of a bit like a car accident sometimes. Like you're not supposed to look, but you can't help but watch. <laughs> like yeah. you're, like it's something you shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't like it because it's so watching. cheesy. What do the and, young kids say? It, they say it hits differently. And if you don't have the <laughs> yeah. nostalgic fact, it yeah. does just seem purely cheesy, right? Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. But when you're, but when you're like, you know, that's oh, someone's man, I remember watching. That. I remember that's that's like, like my grandfather's four, house. season five. I think yeah. I think when you go back and you actually watch the original Karate Kids, it's like, wow, these are really problematic, which has been my experience showing my daughter literally anything from my era of television growing up. I'm like, oh. Ooh. Do you ever do you ever watch the <laughs> Zach Morris is a piece of trash videos? No. <laughs> Zach Morris is trash. Zach Morris is trash. YouTube videos, just Google Zach Morris is trash, and it literally just pulls up hundreds of episodes of really? Saved by the Bell where a guy just narrates what a piece of trash Zach I mean, Morris he was. was. He was. <laughs> it's gross. hilarious. He's like, he oh my God, Zach Morris is dude. trash. Wow. Yeah. You, you, type, you type Zach and you get Morris's trash. Like, <laughs> It's great. Uh, Check him out. You'll love him. <laughs> that's that's yeah. definitely on my, my to-do list after wrapping this up. So, you know, what I love about these conversations is once we get warmed up, things get really good. You know, uh, the first the first half of a conversation like this is a bit of a feeling out process. We all sort of get our vibe, get our energy, get get a feel for the flow of the conversation, who jumps in where and whatnot. And then we get to like the good stuff when you get to about 30, 35 minutes in that, you know, then then the gloves come off. and We get to the good stuff. So this has been this has been a super fun conversation. Rashawn, I'm really glad you joined us. Um, Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, yeah. So where where do they find you again? Um, just go ahead and, and shout out all your promos and everything like that. Shameless whatever's plugs. There we go. Fire all away. right. Let's just make it one really simple. Go to my business card at popleme, P-O-P-L-M-E, front dot C-O, front slash beyond the check. Popleme <laughs> dot C-O, front slash beyond the check. And you have literally all everything. Shows, the podcasts, every social media account that I have. Um, I'm a new taste made maker, so starting next week, we're going to start doing live uh, taste made events. Nice. And uh, yeah, welcome to dinner. I think it's going to be my first thing. Just, That's cool. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Beyond that, the Check is on Amazon, you said? It's on Amazon and Fox's 2B TV. So, and so TV, I'm going to go watch it. TV. Yeah, I'm like, I haven't, I haven't watched an episode yet. Um, oh, so, well, come on. I, I, I will like <laughs> season but, one is the pilot episode. So it's, 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 it's a little more buzzfeedy and fast paced. And then season mm-hmm. two is a little more PBS slow, like really get to know these owners and cooking show style. And season three, when it comes out in November is going to be a little combo of the both. Plus I'm not the only person hanging out with chefs. My wife actually hangs out and cooks with the chefs and my director of photography, Nikki um, is also cooking with the chefs. So we just, through the whole crew in there and we're all just hanging out and having a great time hanging out in restaurants this is a yeah. very clever way to never have to cook for yourself again i really like this idea <laughs> yeah. oh if i told you the truth you wouldn't want to do it uh, everything uh, everything we eat is always cold yeah <laughs> i mean yeah I well it, it's, it still tastes good yeah yeah it's it's a it's a glamorous life being a being a director so mm-hmm. it's uh yeah <sighs> <laughs> I'm at, at season three right behind me. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. And and Chris and Eris, who you might as well shout out your socials as well, because people after this conversation might be like, Oh, I gotta I gotta look up this, you know, Eris guy or this this Chris lady who turns out she's got a little bit of feist in her and uh oh, yeah. <laughs> uh not just a cat herder. 
Not just a cat. No cat appearances tonight either. Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> I actually, I am very that. unpresent on social media, semi-intentionally, but I do have a podcast. You can find me at Deconstructing Health and Fitness, and it's on pretty much any major um, podcast platform. So it's me and a client who's opened up her experience and talks a lot about some of her journey through the world of health and fitness. And we tackle some of the big problems. We also have special guests on where we discuss some of the ways you can find good quality care and help in health and fitness. Nice. Cool. Eris. Eris. I'm still tra- where, where am I following? Plug. Let's go. Uh, so just touch base with me at uh, who, how club on all social media platforms. So who, how, as in the who and how club. So just at who, how, and also at only one Eris, O N L Y, the number one. And then my first name, A R Y S. And you can find my website, everything. Yeah, you could. My link tree is in my Instagram. Instagram is always the best for me. And then you get access to everything else that I do. So, John, thank you so much for inviting me tonight. I'm sorry I missed the last one, but I'm happy. I think everything happens for a reason. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're doing here and I love it. So, I'm inspired. Thank you. Awesome. Glad that we're going to keep keep you around then, I think. (laughs) If, If you'll have me. Yeah. And I'm really inspired by all of you. Like, thanks. I know Lamar's not in, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Shout out to well, uh, yeah. Yeah. And when, once we wrap this up, we can, we can connect, uh, behind the scenes as well. And you can, you know, arrange who wants to be on whose podcast. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for being on the show and let's have a great night. You too. We've Bye. created a foundation of basing who we are on the response we get from people. People are expressing to somebody else out of the dislike maybe for themselves. When you can respond with compassion, you know you've learned to develop a certain amount of love and respect and appreciation for yourself. Compassion allows us to look at these things and to see them as they are with a desire to understand without the need to judge. In that space, that's where we create powerful transformational change.